You don't talk to me like that. Shut up. You don't talk to me I like that. No one, no one talks to me like that. Okay. Well, there you go. There's the engine. Dead. Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here together to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. That's what you would expect to hear after the reading of 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter in the Bible, one of the most beloved chapters in the Bible, but you do understand that was not written for weddings, right? That wasn't intended for brides and grooms. This was written to a church full of messed up, divided, dysfunctional Christians who are supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit but weren't acting like it. Puts a little bit, bit different spin on that passage now that you know the dark background of it. You sure you want that right at your wedding? Not so sure now, right? Well, if you're new here, good to have you. I want to welcome you. I want to warn you because we're a church full of messed up, dysfunctional people as well. But look, Thank God he still loves us, and he loves you, and if you're wanting to experience the love of God, and you're wanting to learn to love better, then you came to the right place, okay? And if you're watching online, good to have you. We'd love to have you be here in person and get in on some of this as well, because love should be our aim in life. That's what God says, that love is the highest value, and if your life does not have love, then you've missed the point. And we need more love in our marriages, right? We need more love in our homes. We need more love in our world. And we need more love in our church family. Because this letter was written to a church in the city of Corinth, this Greek city, all that time ago that Paul started. And they were supposed to be building each other up. But instead, they were tearing each other down. God had given them the gift of the Holy Spirit, but they were using the different gifts that the Spirit equipped them with 
to, to build up themselves, to edify themselves, to show off instead of using them to serve one another. And so uh, we need more love. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, you guys are not getting it. You're, you're, you're focused on the gifts, and when you focus on the gifts, you get all boastful and proud and envious, right? You're like, hey, whoa, look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at what God blessed me with. And others are saying, oh, man, look at all those gifts that guy has, man. God, why didn't you give me cool gifts like her? And that's not the point of the gifts at all. The, the gifts, whatever they are, you've got gifts of communication and shepherding and teaching and assisting and administrating. All the other gifts are supposed to be used to build up and bless and express the love of God to one another. That's the purpose. It's not an end in themselves. They're meant for one another, but instead what they're doing is they're showing off and primarily with this gift of tongues, right? Which we're, we're going to talk more about tongues next week when we get into chapter 14. But tongues is one of those prized gifts that, that people, you know, oh man, that's really cool. I'd like to have that. But Paul puts it at the bottom of the list of gifts. You remember that? He says you need to desire the greater gifts. Which ones are those? The ones that are most needed, the ones that meet needs. And, and the same problem is still going on today. Christians want these kind of flashy, showy gifts that demonstrate how spiritual they are. But Paul says, don't, don't go after those kinds of things. He knocks that down by saying, look, if you're just speaking in tongues, that's just a bunch of noise. That's like a bunch of cymbals and gongs. And look, I'm the first one to say when there's a great rocking song, you got to have more cowbell. But I don't want to be next to a cowbell all day. All right, just clanging, clanging, clanging. And in fact, it appears in that city of Corinth, that actually may have literally been going on because there, there was this mystery pagan religion that was practiced that used gongs and cymbals to kind of whip people up, to, to excite them and get them into an ecstatic trance where they started speaking just gibberish words. And Paul is like, don't be like them. That's just loud, superficial noise. It doesn't mean anything. Another flashy gift was prophecy, right? Prophecy was speaking in your own language. Tongues was in another language. But they were both like direct revelation gifts from God. And so somebody with prophecy could be like, wow, look at me. I, I'm speaking the word of God. And others were saying, oh, man, they know so much about God. That's a really cool gift. Or maybe the gift of faith, uh, which was that special gift that, like Jesus talked about, if you have faith that can move mountains, and you say, oh, look at her. She's got such incredible faith. She must be so close to God. And the point is, Paul says, if, if I can do all those things, but without love, it's nothing I mean, you think you're something because you can do those things? Man, without love, you ain't nothing. I mean, you can even make the ultimate sacrifice. You can give your life for God. But without love, it doesn't mean anything. Pagans do that. They sacrifice themselves to their gods. Buddhists have done that. Muslims have done that, right? When they blow themselves up, fly planes in the building, they think they're doing something for God. There's no love in that. that, that that's religion. Religion is trying to uh, build yourself up, to do things, to make yourself worthy, to earn things from God. But without love, it means nothing. That's religion, and religion can lead to hatred and division and war and suffering. And that's not Christianity, or at least it shouldn't be, because our faith should always be characterized by love. Remember, uh, I, I told you I'm... A, I'm a classic rocker. I do love cowbell. I love all that stuff. But I got to admit, in the 90s, I got into country a little bit. And one of the people that got me into country was Shania Twain, right? Okay. 
It's one of those songs, remember, that don't impress me much? She said, uh, you know, you can have brains, you can be a know-it-all, you can have a nice car, you got looks, you got, you got, you're cool, but do you got the touch, right? Do you, do you really care about me? Do you love me? And that's the way it is with God. Your, your spiritual stuff don't impress God a bit. Do you love him? Do you love other people? Jesus said the greatest commandments are to what? Love God and love other people. That's the aim of life. That's the target that we aim for. In fact, one of the Greek words in the New Testament for sin is a word that means to miss the mark, to miss the target. And the target, the bullseye, is love. And every time we miss that bullseye of loving God and loving other people, we sin. And so love becomes the evidence for a transformed life. It becomes the basis for all other virtues. It becomes the motivation for our ministry. Love is the hallmark for a Christian. Because Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Because without love, all that I say is ineffective. I mean, I can preach a great message, I can teach a great lesson, I can pray a great prayer, but without love, God ain't impressed. And without love, all that I believe is insufficient. Oh, I can have this great faith. I believe, I believe. But you know what? The devil believes too. God's not impressed with that. I can go to church. I can say all the right words and sing all the songs and do all the things religious people do. But without love, it's nothing. Without love, all that I know is incomplete. I can know all the right doctrines have the right beliefs. I can be a brilliant Bible scholar and know the scriptures forward and backward. But without love, God is not impressed. Because people need love a lot more than they need knowledge. Isn't that true? They don't care how much that you know until they know how much you care. And without love, all that I give is insignificant. I mean, I, I can exercise that spiritual gift of generosity and give all my money and possessions to the poor. I can put these big offerings in at church, put that in the buckets. But guess what? Without love, it don't count. I gain nothing because we can give for the wrong reasons. Isn't that true? Like the guy who will try to buy off his family with toys and presents for his lack of love. They're not impressed with that. I can try to be all these spiritual things. But why am I doing it? Because God doesn't just see our outward actions. He sees our inward motivations. Am I doing it for his glory or for mine? Am I doing it to bless others or to benefit myself? And so when you stand before God one day, he doesn't care about all that you've accomplished. He's not going to ask about your awards or your bank accounts or your grades or your degrees. What's he going to ask? Did you love me? Did you love my son? Did you love other people? And that's why our big idea is your contributions mean nothing without love. Remember during Jesus' ministry, he, um, he really went after those religious leaders, the Pharisees, who were just big show-offs, right? They would go out on the corners and pray these elaborate, uh, loud prayers just to be noticed. And then they would put these large amounts of money in the collection at the temple and they would announce it with trumpets so everybody would see what they gave. And Jesus said, I would prefer somebody who just prays a simple prayer in private that's genuine and from the heart more than all that other nonsense. 
That's why he commended a widow who put in just two coins into the temple treasury instead of those guys who were putting in big wads of cash because what she gave was from the heart, it was from faith, and it was real sacrifice. See, there's, I think there's more talk about love than ever, but we're more loveless than ever. Isn't that true? In the last days, 2 Timothy 3 says, people will be lovers, but they'll be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God or lovers of others. We're bad lovers. <laughs> and, you know, we've got all, all this talk in society and everybody trying to convince us of what love really is. And we've got all these very superficial ideas that come through all those love songs written and sung by artists who are known for sleeping around, all these love stories in the films portrayed by actors who are known for their adulteries and divorce. Come on, is that where we're going to learn love from? Is that really God's idea of love? Oh, we talk about love all the time. I love pizza. I love my car. I love you. It's all the same thing. doesn't mean anything, which is why the Greek language is so beautiful. The New Testament is written in this very expressive language that has more than one word for love, unlike us. They would have words like eros, and eros meant uh, romantic love, emotional excitement, which is fine, but it can't be just that, can it? Because that kind of love is, is a because love. I love you because of the way you look, because of the way you make me feel, because of what you do for me. Is that God's idea of love? No, see, there's another Greek word that's agape. And agape is God's kind of love. It's not because love, it's in spite of love. I love you in spite of the way you look. <laughs> thank, thank the Lord for that. <laughs> I love you in spite of the way you make me feel sometimes. I love you in spite of what you do for me or don't do for me. Because that kind of agape love is selfless concern. I mean, you don't have to feel love to express love because God commands us to love like that. Which means love isn't just a feeling, it's something you do. Love is action. You demonstrate love by what you do. Which means that you can love people who aren't very lovable. You don't have to like them to love them. And that's why Jesus can tell us to even love our enemies. Because love isn't something you feel, it's something you do. That's why the greatest symbol of love of all time is the cross. You look at the cross and you see that God didn't just say, I love you. He proved it. Read with me, Romans 5, 8. Paul says, here we go, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. That's how you show love. When we don't deserve it, when we haven't earned it, he loves us anyway. That's our model for love. And we don't just love by saying I love you or singing I love you, but how? John tells us in his first letter, everybody out loud again together, dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and truth. And if love is an action, that means love is a choice. It is a myth that love is uncontrollable, something you can turn on and turn off. Love is a choice to be a loving person. You say, how do I do that? Well, certainly not in your own strength. You don't do it in your power. How do you do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're full of the Spirit, then you're full of God's love. Look at Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts, how? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when you receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. You have been given the capacity to love because it's no longer you loving others, it's God loving through you. He's poured out His love in your heart and that's, that becomes a choice to obey Him, right? God didn't have to love us. It's a choice. He didn't need to love us. He chose to love us. And so we love Him because He first loved us. And if He can love us, then we can love other people too. All right? I receive that love through Christ and He fills me up with His love. But those Corinthians certainly were not acting like it, were they? Because think back, we've been in this book for a long time now. And we've seen these Christians taking each other to court, dividing over who they're going to follow. I'm, I'm with Paul, I'm with Peter, I'm with Apollos. We see them having these love feasts together where they have this, these banquets and they share the Lord's Supper to express unity. But what are they doing? They're getting drunk and they're not feeding everybody. They're letting people go hungry. And then they're using all these gifts, not to bless each other, but to puff each, them, themselves up. They're not being loving, they're being selfish. They're being unkind, they're being boastful and rude and, and they're easily angered. They, they get ticked off at each other, they get annoyed. They keep records of wrongs, and that's why Paul gives them this list of here's what love looks like, here's what it is, here's what it isn't, and it's certainly the opposite of the ways that you're behaving. And so as we go through this list, see if you see yourself in this list, and here's how you find out. Try inserting your name wherever you see the word love. Put your name instead of love. Now, you can do that with the name of Jesus. works just great. <laughs> but see if it works with you. For instance, love is patient, okay? Jesus is patient. Great, works. Brett is patient. Eh, not, not as well. In fact, we're not just talking about like patients waiting in line at the DMV. We're talking about long-suffering, being put upon. That's what it is, forbearance. Forbearance just means I'm going to put up with you. No matter how annoying and irritating you are, I choose to put up with you. And you can't just excuse yourself when you go off on somebody and say, well, hey, that's just who I am. No, 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 because you're no longer under your own control. You're under the control of the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit, and you cannot just express your emotions however you want to. You have forfeited that right. You have surrendered that, okay? Love is kind. Okay, Jesus is kind. And I mean, like, can you be kind to people who are not kind, to people who are irritating and annoying? It doesn't envy, okay? So no, we're not going to envy all those gifted people their cool gifts and begrudge them their ministry because God has seen fit to equip them with those kinds of gifts it doesn't boast so love doesn't show off say whoa look at me look at how great I am look at what God's done for me it humbly gives God the glory it's not proud love, love isn't self-inflated with, with you know I'm so important it does not dishonor others because when you're full of yourself you tend to treat other people poorly you tend to be rude to them and you say all kinds of stuff without a filter well you got to put the filter on which is the Holy Spirit you can't just say whatever you want to say you got to speak with grace how you doing so far you still putting your name in there keeping up with me it isn't self-seeking love's not about me it's about God it's about others it's about how can I serve you because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, which is the opposite of our self-service society, where it's all about indulging myself and what can you do for me? That's not love. And if you say, well, I love God, but you're not serving, you better check yourself. I mean, where's, your, where's my ministry? Or is all this just lip service? Because lip service doesn't mean anything. Real love sacrifices. You can't be like Jesus without 
sacrificing, right? Because sacrificing means I give up something I love for something I love even more. And you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. I think the reason why we fail so often at love is because of this very thing. We're not willing to pay the price. We don't want to make the sacrifice. And love's not easily angered. It's not easily offended, man, because I surrender my rights again to go off on people. I can't help feeling angry. That's just an emotion. But I have a choice on how I handle that anger. And I'm not going to express it in, in, a, in a way that hurts somebody else. And people shouldn't have to be walking around on eggshells around me because I'm so easily triggered and touchy and grouchy. It's not love. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. One guy was telling his buddy, man, whenever my wife and I get into an argument, she gets so historical. He says, you mean hysterical? He says, no, she brings up every wrong thing I've ever done. Love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't keep bringing up the past. It's willing to forgive. Still inserting your name there? Did you already give up? Keep going. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. So that means we don't hold on to our old ways, our vices, and our habits, and we don't cover up our sins, and we don't take delight in what the world approves of. We find our joy in God's will and what's good and true and right. It always protects like a roof over a house, like, a, like an umbrella, like a shield against the world's hatred and hurts and sorrow. It always trusts. It's willing to give the benefit of the doubt. It always takes the high road. It, it gives a person a break. It always hopes. So it looks to the future with optimism because of God's goodness. It looks with hope to better times ahead. It looks for the best in people. It always perseveres in the face of tests. Love doesn't give up, man. Love doesn't give up on people. Love doesn't fail. It never falls down on the job of building other people up. Guess what? That's Jesus. You could put Jesus in every one of those, and it's him to a T. Me, not so much. I already warned you, churches are full of messed up, dysfunctional people, and if you came here looking for an oasis of perfection in a world of imperfection, you have already been sorely disappointed, haven't you? But this is to be an oasis of love in an unloving world. If you can't find love in the church, we're in a heap of trouble. And we're supposed to be here for one another. And, and I know we're, we're humans and we get on each other's nerves and we rub each other the wrong way. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is like an oil that flows among us and between us so that we don't grate on each other with that fractious friction that grinds us down and tears us apart. We need the oil of the Spirit to flow among us. And as we serve one another, we do it out of a motive of love. That's what he's gifted us to do. Galatians 5, Paul says, serve one another humbly in love. And so if you're using your spiritual gifts, whatever it is, to serve one another, that's great. But if you're not doing it in love, it adds up to a great big zero. Life without love is zilch. It's nothing. So your contributions mean nothing without love. Paul says all those spiritual gifts, they're all just temporary. They're going away one day. The only thing that's going to go on is love. All these revelation gifts, all the prophecies and tongues and knowledge, 
All of that was just in part. It was incomplete. It's all going to cease. When will that happen? Well, Paul says when the complete comes, when the perfect comes. Well, what's that? Well, it's open to interpretation. Remember a couple weeks ago in chapter 12, we were talking about charismatics who believe that all of the gifts are available today, including the miraculous gifts of revelation, the, the prophecy and tongues and knowledge, that we still need those today. And, and the perfect, the complete, will be the second coming. When Jesus returns, then we won't need those gifts any longer. Okay, maybe, but the problem with that is when the word complete is used or perfect, it, it's not a masculine noun. You know, in the Greek, you'd have masculine and feminine and neuter. And if it were referring to Jesus, it would be in masculine, but it's in neuter instead. So if Paul wanted to talk about the second coming, he could have easily said that, but he didn't. And so then you have others who are called cessationists who would say, well, we still have all the, the practical, normal kinds of spiritual gifts, but the revelation gifts, the miraculous ones, those are not the ones that we have anymore. Those have ceased because those were confirmation gifts given to the apostles and prophets to confirm or prove that their message was from the Lord. And when the apostles and prophets died out and those on whom they could confer those gifts through the laying on of hands, then those gifts went away with them because what we have now is complete. It's not to say that God doesn't still do miraculous things, just not that he does them through those specific people like the apostles and prophets because the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And their words were recorded for us in scripture. And so a cessationist would say, what is the complete? What is the perfect? It's the New Testament. Nothing more is going to be added to it. We have God's complete word and will for us. Not everything that we want to know, but everything that we need to know. Remember we talked about how it was like a building going up. The church is being constructed and scaffolding is put up around a building that's being constructed to keep it in place, keep it firm. And so the idea was as the church is in its infancy and being built, and they, did, they only had a partial, they had partial tongues and they had partial prophecies and partial knowledge. But once it was complete, after the apostolic age was over and they had the, the New Testament, then the scaffolding came down. There was no longer a need for it anymore. So I don't know, possibly it's the church itself is that thing which is complete or perfect. It's hard to say what it means. But I think it really has to do with how we view the purpose of those kinds of gifts. And so I, I, I told you that at our church, we're, we're going to teach it from a cessationist perspective, not a charismatic one. Not to say that those kinds of gifts can't happen. It's just that we're not seeing the kind of gifts like that being used today or for the right purpose. And, and so, look, we also said you can disagree with that. And that's fine as long as we don't make it a test of fellowship and you don't stir up trouble and divide over it or look down on people who disagree with you. I don't know, maybe the complete, the perfect thing is heaven itself. When we all get there and we'll understand completely God's revelation, full understanding. But until then, you know what? Paul says the gifts are good, but love is better. Love is the more excellent way. So let's focus on love instead of the gifts. Because there's going to be a time when we will understand until then. Let's stop acting like childish, immature, divisive people and grow up and become mature Christians. Because it's not about my gift and it's not about your gift and it's not about my limited knowledge or your limited knowledge. It's about what are we doing to promote love in the body of Christ. Whatever you're doing, okay, it may help and edify you. But are you helping and edifying others? Verse 13, Paul says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
ultimately only one thing is going to be left because faith will become sight one day, right? I mean, we'll continue to trust in God, but we won't need that kind of faith anymore. And, and hope will be fulfilled. We won't need that kind of hope anymore. We'll still look forward to what God's going to do. But it's love that's going to continue on and only grow stronger and stronger with time. God is a God of love. He loves you so deeply. And i got to believe some of you came in here today thinking, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if God really does love me or not. How can God love me after all that I've done? And you're never going to understand how much God loves you and appreciate how much he loves you until you look at the cross. Because God is not only a God of love, he is a holy God, he is righteous. And when his holiness meets our sin, it becomes wrath because sin deserves to be punished. That's, that's his nature, his holy nature. He can be and do no other. But because he is also love, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to give us mercy and grace. And so he holds these two attributes in his nature together, holiness and love, holiness and love. What resolves the tension? It's the cross. It's the cross because on the cross, God does pour out his wrath, but it's on his own son. He himself takes the wrath that we deserve and the infinite, innocent son of God dies in our place, suffers the equivalent of hell on that cross, what we deserve, and all of our guilt was put on him, all of his innocence and righteousness was put on us so that we could receive mercy and not get we, what we deserve, but instead receive grace, which is getting the things we don't earn, full forgiveness, eternal life, the gift of his spirit as a presence in our life every day to help us. You're never going to understand and appreciate how much God loves you until you look at the cross because that's where he proved it. You can't deny God's love for you no matter what you've done when you look at that cross. So how's your love life? Are you, do you have God's love in your life personally? I want to invite you and encourage you and urge you to put your faith in Him, to put your hope in Him, to experience love from Him through Jesus Christ, through the good news of salvation. And you can demonstrate your faith, hope, and love by turning to Him and being baptized into Him, just like these people have done over the past few weeks here. Watch. Transgressions, wandering in sin. I went searching for redemption down a road that had no end. I was walking through the fire. I was living on the run with my flesh lost in desire. I was drowning in the flood, but God.
invite you to join me in this love movement called the church. And I don't know about you, but man, I really want to be a part of a loving church, right? But how loving are you? I mean, how loving are you to your family, to your friends at school, to your co-workers, to your neighbors? How loving are you to your spiritual family here? How loved do you feel here and in our groups and on our teams? And how loved do our guests feel? feel. Because I'll tell you, our church will only be as loving as you are. And I got to believe that the, probably the biggest reason why people leave churches is because of a lack of love. Because I tell you, churches that are truly loving are magnetic. They are attractive and they are growing. Choosing to love in action, in service, in charity. So let's love people into heaven. And maybe that's you today. You need to experience God's love firsthand, personally, by committing your life to Christ. And that's why I have people up here every week wanting to help you. While we're standing and singing, you walk down and they'll help you with whatever you're dealing with. They'll pray for you. They'll, they'll answer your questions. They'll tell you more about Jesus. They'll get you ready to be baptized today yourself. They're going to stick around after the service too so that you can come down then. And as we stand and sing, not only is this for you, not only do we want you to experience God's love, but who are you going to share God's love with this week?